Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. I'm sure I wasn't alone at feeling a mix of frustration, even despondency at the end of this past week, as it finally became clear that our politicians would not, could not, come to some sort of agreement on the vexed question of asylum seekers coming to Australia by boat. Their deliberations were focused sharply by the deaths of 90 people plus another four in another boat over the last couple of weeks, despite all the anguish, movingly and often expressed in Parliament, despite so much talk, they achieved nothing. Tony Abbott is reaffirming today he'll turn back the boats despite the misgivings of senior naval personnel. Julia Gillard has resorted to calling him a coward today. And still the boats come. One man who's been offering his thoughts is Jim Ryer. He's a teacher, theologian, commentator, and we have to say, former candidate for the Greens. He says Australians don't seem to know what they want when it comes to handling refugees and asylum seekers. Jim, welcome to Open House. It's good to be here, thanks. Jim, I think it's important to clear this up up front. Is your position on this driven by your politics or your theology when it comes to allowing Christian faith to shape us on this issue? I want to believe that it's driven by theology first. Um, I was a teacher and a Bible college lecturer and theologian for about 20 years before I joined the Greens Party, uh, of which I'm no longer a member. After nine years, I actually resigned at the end of last year. But um, And I, I took that stand uh, about 10 years ago to, to get active because of my theology. Um, why did I leave at the end of last year? It was mainly because I've reached a season in my life where I, I want to be my own voice entirely again. And... Um, and uh, there's a lot of good people in the party <laughs> who can keep the work going. So how do you begin to construct a framework for how we might introduce Christian considerations in this? Well, I think we have to define a Christian as someone who seeks to follow Christ. Um, we can have all sorts of theological constructs added to that, but at the bottom line, we're people who seek to follow Christ. So what would Christ say regarding refugees and asylum seekers? What sort of references can we find in the Scriptures and in the Gospels where uh, Christ might be dealing with something like that. One of the most uh, powerful parables, I think, is the uh, sheep and the goats parable in Matthew 25. And in that passage, Jesus welcomes people into heaven, or doesn't, on the basis of, did they look after the poor, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, um, clothe those that were naked, visit the sick and imprisoned, they are ones who Jesus says, when you did it to them, you did it to me, welcome uh, into the kingdom of your father. If we can't see a connection between welcoming the stranger, looking after the poor and the desperate, and caring for asylum seekers, then I think we've got um, theological blinkers on that have been put there by our political loyalties. It's an easy thing to say, and it's a somewhat easy framework to construct. Mm-hmm. Theologically, But if Kevin Rudd's easing of the Howard formula for dealing with boat people led to the increase in numbers of boats and deaths that we've seen, yeah. how do we practically do this, what Jesus says? There's a lot of um, big policy issues that should be worked towards, as well as um, internal Australian decisions about visas and, and how we cope with boats. To really resolve the big problem of, of dangerous boat voyages, uh, we need to address why is it that people are leaving Indonesia on boats when they get there. I mean, Indonesia is the first place they could actually get on a UNQ and be registered as a refugee if they're coming down from Afghanistan or, or some of these other countries. 
it's the first place where they actually can get on a queue, get registered as a refugee, and yet, even if they get that, and that process can take up to a year in Indonesia, even if they get that, they can't send their children to school, they can't work for money, and they find out that it takes about 20 years to be placed from Indonesia somewhere in the world. And there's only about four or five, not even four or five thousand in total waiting in Indonesia, but we only take about 50 to 100 from Indonesia a year. New Zealand will take some, other countries will take some. A person can wait for 20 years in Indonesia to be placed. And under the conditions that they're being asked to wait under, it drives them to end up doing desperate things like dangerous boat rides. So if we can work with Indonesia to help create a situation where the, where the refugees that have arrived there can, be, uh, can live without despair and with, live with some hope until they're placed, it, we also need to see that the placement um, ratios increase. Australia should uh, lead the way. We only take a small trickle of refugees each year. Most Australians have no idea. We, we take about 180,000 people in total every year, roughly, and that's nearly all migration. That's 165,000 or so. We take about 13 or 14,000 refugees a year, a very small trickle of our total number of people coming into the country. Uh, we could increase that to, say, 20,000 a year, and if people are worried about the total number, we could reduce migration by an equal amount, but we can increase our refugee intake to, say, 20,000 a year, which is what the UN actually recommends for a country of Australia's size and wealth. Uh, and if we did that, we could actually clear the entire backlog in Indonesia immediately. Jim, when you quote, say, the parable of the sheep and the goats, it seems that that has no limit. True. Is that what you're saying? I think that there's a reality, though, that Australia is geographically um, cut off because of the water from most of the rest of the world. Other countries actually receive way more refugees than we ever will or ever do. You know, just in five months alone, for example, Italy got 45,000 boat arrivals from Libya during the worst of the Libyan civil war uh, when they were overthrowing Gaddafi. 45,000 boat arrivals in five months. It takes us about 10 years of really high numbers to get that kind of number of boat people in Australia. We, we really do get a small trickle, and the hysteria that's associated with, oh, another boat of 60s turned up, and a month later another boat of 60s turned up, and we start thinking we're being flooded, not, it's not reality. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a strange, false reality that's been created, I think, for political opportunism. It is becoming a costlier and costlier issue for Australia, isn't it? True. And there is the consideration of protecting our borders. Well, the cost factor would be a lot less if we didn't keep people in detention. If we allowed people to live in the community while their applications for refugee status are being processed, which is what we allow for all the people who come on planes and land here and say, can I be a refugee, please? We let them live in the community. And that's the majority of applicants, by the way, not the minority. The majority are plane arrivals. They get to live in the community while their applications are being considered. But the small number of boat arrivals, in some years it's as small as 5% of the total, in other years, it might be 25 or 30% of the total. It's always the smaller minority. We lock those people up until their claims have been assessed. It would be a lot cheaper not to lock them up. It costs, it costs so much money. It costs over $100,000 a year to keep one person locked up as an um, asylum seeker seeking refugee, refugee status. There's the question of genuine refugees as well. There is. Both people are nearly always accepted. It's a huge proportion. I think it's over 90 to 95 percent are nearly always accepted as being genuine refugees eventually after they might have spent a year or two or so in uh, refugee holding centres, um, asylum seeker holding centres. 
whereas the plane arrivals, we send back over half. So the ones who are 50-50 chance of being genuine, we let live in the community. The ones that are 90-95% end up being considered genuine, we lock up until we decide their case. The whole asylum seeker detention centre system is uneconomical and very, very unjust. Would you presume to tell the politicians after what we've seen and heard over the last two weeks, tell them what would Jesus say? Um, I, I always find it a little bit intimidating to try to speak for Jesus, but yes. I can quote his words that we've got in the scripture <laughs> and hope that I'm on the right track. Um, uh, but um, I think he was a man who showed great compassion to those who were at the lower end of the socioeconomic you know, reality chain. Uh, he was a man who always fed the poor when he had opportunity, always cared for those who were sick or, or in need. And I think he, he, the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, which we quoted already, would remind us that he would be expecting his followers to be prophetic voices in the wider community to encourage clear thinking and compassion in these issues. Jim Ryan, thanks very much for joining us on Open House. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.